0: Uh, good morning to you all, and uh, my thanks for the, the invite again to come up and, uh, and share with you, went to fellowship with you, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed myself so far uh, in our service, um, and I'd like us to turn back to the, the chapter that was read uh, earlier on, Mark chapter 9, and if you've got very good memories, and you can cast your minds back to to, I think it was March, at the beginning of this year when I was here last We looked then at uh, Mark chapter 9 And we looked specifically at the story that was read for us uh, today We are in our church in uh, the bush in Criddock We are going through Mark on a, on a Sunday morning um, And we have reached up to, to Mark chapter 9 And as, as I've read it uh, Mark 1 through to 8 and then going to chapter 9. Mark, Mark chapter 9 seems to be a very different chapter than the, other, the previous chapters that Mark has written. In Mark 1 to 8, he's very busy. Mark is a very busy writer and he has Jesus very busy. <coughs> Jesus does countless things in the chapters in, in Mark 1 to 8. And it's almost like reading um, a, a tabloid. Because they are very little short stories and, and they're happening all the time. And Jesus is doing miracle after miracle And having meeting after meeting And teaching after teaching He's doing lots and lots of things And it, it's at the breakneck speed But then you come to Mark chapter 9 And everything slows down a bit And um, Mark chapter 9 is very near the cross It's very near the, the end of the ministry of Jesus and it's like Mark is now saying like, Jesus has done all these things But now it comes to the cross And, and now I... I'd like you as my readers to slow down a little bit and to take a little bit more time than perhaps we have been in these previous chapters because these are really important and these are really wonderful, these things that Jesus is doing from here on in. And so um, Mark chapter 9, if you read, it's quite a long chapter uh, because we are still on it on a Sunday morning uh, and we've been on it for the, for all of this year, I think. It's a long chapter, but it doesn't contain Jesus doing an awful lot. There's only about four or five stories in it, which is different to the to the rest of Mark. And the first one, which is, I, I'd like us to continue looking at this morning, is the, the Transfiguration. And the story of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, as witnessed by Peter, James and John, that inner circle of disciples. I'm going to read the first a couple of verses that my father read for us early on, just to give us a bit of <coughs> a reminder where we are. Mark 9 and verse 2. <coughs> and there is a reason I didn't read, read verse 1, which you can plainly and obviously see if you read verse 1. <coughs> verse 2 says, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His clothes became shining, exceedingly white like snow. Such as no laundrer on earth can ever whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. The last time I was here, we, um, we looked at two things about that little story, those, those two or three verses that we've read this morning. We, we looked at, or we asked ourselves a question, why now? Why does Jesus reveal his glory now? What's so special about this occasion Why are his garments becoming white An unearthly white A heavenly white Why now and not before And we saw then that Christ reveals his glory As the hearts and minds and conversations of people around him Turn to Calvary And we saw that happening with his conversation with Elijah And with Moses Matthew who gives a bit of a fuller account of the Mount, Mount of Transfiguration Tells us what they were talking about they were talking about his death They were talking about Calvary They were talking about the climax The culmination of his ministry And to me it's no coincidence To realise that the glory of Christ Is seen in all its fullness And most obvious to me and you When we think of his death When we think of that ultimate triumph And ultimate ministry That he achieves at Calvary and then, I think it was the Thursday, that the Bible study we had in, in March, we looked at, well, why is Elijah there? Why not someone else, but why is Elijah there? And what does meaning that does that have to you and me? And as we looked at Elijah, we saw that um, here was the man who would hear the word of God and would communicate that word of God to the world. A prophet in an Old Testament to it. Who would spend time with God and God would reveal things to him and then he would go to the people, go to the nation, go to the king, and he would communicate that word on behalf of God. And yet here we see in in these lovely verses here, here he was speaking with the word of God himself. We looked at that verse in uh, Hebrews that says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers, by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us through a son. God not now communicating through prophets, through Elijah or Isaiah or Jeremiah, but God whose message to the world is Jesus, his son. So that's where we've we've been that's what we've looked at the last time I was here. But I said I wanted to answer four questions, and so we've we've done the why now and we've done the why Elijah We have two left, which we'll answer one this morning and, God willing, one on Thursday evening. And so for this morning, the question we can ask our story here, our few verses, is why Moses? Why is Moses there? Why does God choose Moses to be a character in the transfiguration? Why is Moses that other character that Jesus speaks to on the Mount of Transfiguration? You know, as, as you read it this morning, you, you, you could be forgiven for thinking, well, why not Moses? Moses seems a really good choice. Because Moses, once again, is a heavyweight of the Jewish faith. He is a man who is revered and respected by all Jews. Every Jew would know of his story. Every Christian this morning knows, I'm sure, of the story of Moses, the story of this baby boy saved from an unjust and early death brought up in the courts of Pharaoh chosen by God to go back to Egypt with that wonderful message, let my people go led Israel out of slavery into freedom led them to the brink of the promised land and then perhaps most importantly of all for our purposes here this morning here in Mark, was, is not just a figure of the past but was given the law from the hand of God himself. And that law established Israel as a nation for all those years from, the, from his time until the time of Jesus. So he was a relevant figure. an historical figure. A figure who lived hundreds of years ago or even over a thousand years ago for these disciples. But he was a relevant figure. Because the law that he received still was at the centre of all that Israel was. And all that Israel did. Here was Moses, the, the giver of the law, who had received the law from the hand of God himself. And so if Elijah this morning would remind us of the word of God, then perhaps we could say that Moses would remind us of the law of God. And we can't, as Christians, we can, um, we can, look, sometimes we can look back to the law and we can sometimes look down on the law and we can criticise the law, and we can think of the law perhaps even in a very simple way as, as wicked or, or evil, but, but none of those things are true. The law of God isn't a wicked law at all. The law of God isn't an evil law at all. In fact, the, the law of God is perfect, mm-hmm. his word would tell us. And so it's with those eyes perhaps that we look at Moses that in um, those verses that we we could read uh, this morning right at the beginning of the Bible as God is establishing Israel as a nation then he gives them his law that they should live by laws which would allow them to understand who he was to understand the character of God And would bring them to an understanding not only of who he was, but who they were too. Now that's the purpose of the law, to allow sinful men and women like me and you to have an understanding and a knowledge of the character of God. That we are so far away from him, it's impossible to see him. It's impossible to have a relationship with him It's impossible to know him But through the law We can understand things about him We can understand his character We can understand his sense of justice We can understand his sense of right and wrong And the law was given to Israel for that Just that purpose It would bring them to an understanding Of the character of God It was God who said do not kill And so to a Jewish person they would think well life is important to this God of ours and the taking of life is important to this God of ours do not commit adultery we think well okay relationship is important to this God then and marriage is important to this God and the destruction of marriage is is something this God would not would command us not to do it tells us so much about the character of God but the trouble is with the law is that when it does that and shows the character of God it also has this annoying habit of showing my character as well because I, as I look at the God whose law I can see all the way through his word then I understand that his character is very different to mine and where his character is great and upright and just and righteous And the law also shows me as none of those things like him. So the law has that effect on me. It allows sinful men and women to understand the character of God to a certain extent. But then brings us to an understanding of what sin is. And propels us. And forces us almost to understand our need of someone greater than us and as someone who can do what I can't do you know the law shows up my inadequacies and my failures and shows me the gap that exists between me and God you know, I don't think God gave the law as an alternative means of salvation you know, because that would be a very cruel thing to do because none of us can live up to this wonderful character. Of God. But I think he gave it to the world. To reveal himself to sinful men and women. And to reveal our character. To us. And propel us towards our need. Of someone. Greater than us. Now because of that. The law. And to look at the law of God. That comes to the, the hand of God. Into the hand of Moses. Into the hand of Israel and to look at the law is always, always going to be a difficult thing to do because it always, always reveals God as glorious and perfect and pure and holy and it reveals me as none of those things you know and without the law I can perhaps pretend and and hoodwink myself into believing that the gap between me and God is not that great you know And yes, I'm human, and and yes, I make mistakes, and yes, I get things wrong, but I'm I'm almost there. And there's a lot to love about me. There's a lot to be proud of about me, and there's a lot to celebrate about me. Without the law, I can think all of those things. With the law, I can't think any of those things because it becomes painfully obvious how great he is and how different I am. And it points you and me This morning, this painful process of looking at the law, it points and reveals our failure, our sin, and points us towards our need of someone who is greater than we are and can do something great and something wonderful. Now, here we are in Mark chapter 9. We have Moses speaking with Jesus. You know, and after what I said about the law, that it reveals the character of God and then it reveals my character and it propels me points me forward towards looking for someone who is greater than me is Jesus that one you know it's, it's an important question and a question that has been on the hearts and minds of people for far longer than you've been here John the Baptist said to Jesus in Luke chapter 7 John the Baptist who was faithful and strong and brave and courageous, who suffered for the kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus, when he was languishing in prison, said to his disciples on one occasion, go go to him, go to Jesus and ask him this question. Are you the one? Are you him? Or, if you're not, tell us and we look for someone else. You know, it's, it's such a sensible question. It makes such sense. Here's John in prison. He's saying, Lord, should I throw my lot in with you? Are you the one? The Lord is telling me to look for someone greater than me. The Lord is showing me to look for someone who can do the things that I can't do and I realize that I'm a sinner and I realize that gap between me and a, a wonderful God. And I know I need someone To do the things that I can't do now. Jesus are you the one? Or shall I look for someone else? You know it's a question that was on the lips of John the Baptist. It's a question that perhaps is, definitely should be. On the lips of all of humanity. Because we all have the law. I've looked at the law. I've seen my sin revealed in that law and the gap between me and God that I'm never going to be capable of reaching I know I'm in need of someone who can do greater things than I can I know I'm in need of someone who is greater than me and different to me now when I look at Jesus is he that person? is he the one? it's an important question this morning because time is precious and the moments of life are ticking by and if he isn't the one then I've got better things to do than to be here this morning I need to get out and I need to look for that person who can help me if he can't if it's not him then I need to get on with the job of looking for someone else so here is Jesus and here is Moses the law giver and he's standing on a mountain and they are speaking to one another and that same law that reveals to me that I am a sinner that same law is revealing who Jesus is so you can't stand in the law and pretend you can't stand in the face of the law and pretend to be someone you are not it reveals the heart of God it reveals my heart and as we look at these verses this morning it reveals the heart of Jesus that same law that reveals my sinfulness that same law that reveals my condemnation before God is revealing him as well so what's it saying? you know that's an important question if the Lord of God reveals the character of God and the character of humanity what does it reveal to you and me? about Jesus now I've got a quote that I've asked Sandra to put on the overhead to me me. a couple of months ago I woke up on a a Saturday morning about 7 o'clock one of the annoying things of getting up at quarter to 7 every morning in the week is that you can't get out of that habit on a Saturday and so I was lying in bed at 7 o'clock thinking I haven't got to get up yet but I can't get back to sleep so I picked my phone up Uh, And I looked on Twitter, because I'm cutting edge
1: with technology.
0: And I follow um, a minister, a very well-known minister, uh, who also is on Twitter. And he put up this quote about God. And I was reading it in bed at 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning a couple of months ago. And this is what it says. God isn't fair, God is love. And that is very different. Fairness is about getting what you deserve. Love is about getting what none of us deserve Unlimited, never-ending grace Now I will be honest with you this morning There's not a lot this minister says that I agree with And if I was very honest The only reason I follow him on Twitter Is so I can see how far he goes And the things that that he says And 99% of the time I find myself vehemently disagreeing with him and as I read this as I was lying in bed and I I read this quote because it was him then immediately something in me said oh what what has he been saying again and immediately something in me said well this can't be right and as I read it my first reaction is no this can't be right God isn't fair now is that something I can say God isn't fair, but then I thought I I felt a bit guilty, and I thought to myself, "Well, let's let's read it, let's examine it, and think a bit more deeply about it, and see what this man is saying. God isn't fair. Well, that sort of makes me wonder, and and, you know, gets my alarm bells ringing. But then the rest of it: God is love. Yeah, I agree with that. God is love. Those two things are very different, and yes, I, I suppose that they are. Fairness is about getting what you deserve and, and that's alright. Love is about getting what none of us deserve unlimited, never ending grace. You no, know, and as I read it, I thought, well perhaps he's got a point this time. When I think about fairness and justice, and when I think about love, then perhaps this court has something to say to me now grace the grace that you and I enjoy this morning and, and we celebrate and we think is amazing and all of these wonderful things it isn't fair because it is undeserved and, and the more I, I read the quote but the more I thought that I thought well perhaps he's got a point here and I thought of, of those, <coughs> those verses uh, some verses in the bible that say mercy has triumphed over judgment and I thought of the parable that Jesus told of the workers in the field where the worker who has worked for one hour is paid the same as the worker who has done a 12 hour day and I, I, I thought to myself well that isn't fair and that isn't deserved and so perhaps this man has a point and I kept on thinking about it, I, I was walking the dog up um, Penry's Mountain at about half o'clock and, and took him out for an hour and by the time I got to the the far end of Penrith Mountain and come back I I made a decision in my heart that I don't agree with this (laughs) it would have taken me a long time but I came to the conclusion that that this wasn't right because the Bible reveals a God who is fair it doesn't reveal a God who is unfair or unjust Now the law which tells us about the character of God the Old Testament which declares God tells us that he is fair and he is just. You know Moses as as we are reading about him this morning could say of God he is a God of faithfulness and without injustice. Abraham could say of him will not the judge of the whole earth do what's right. Do what's just. You know what? And to me, the Bible reveals to us a God who is fair, and a God who is upright, and a God who is just in all of His ways. You know what? And if I were to think of a God who isn't fair, and isn't right, doesn't do the right thing, and isn't just, then what right does that God have? To expect me to be just and me to be fair. And what right have I got to expect fairness or justice from anyone else? If the God who created us, who sustains us, isn't just and fair, then what right have I got to expect that of myself and expect that of other people? You know, I don't know about you, but I do expect fairness. And I do expect justice. You know, perhaps more than that, I demand fairness. Even me. And I demand justice. A couple of, a couple of weeks ago, on a, on a Friday night, I went to watch Cardiff play Fulham. It was, we were one all. And it was, the game was going on. And, and it was a game that we really wanted to win. Now, I'm usually... Cool as a cucumber. <laughs> watching Cardiff, if I never lose my cool or get angry at all. But as as I was watching um, Cardiff attacking, one of the Fulham players who used to play for us last year ran past one of our attackers, was that far away from it, um, from his leg, and threw himself on the floor to con the referee into giving them a free kick now, even cool, calm and calculating me, I was up off my feet demanding fairness demanding justice Thinking, saying to the "Ref, you cannot let that go you have to hold this man to account he's done wrong he's trying to con you and all of the rest of us into, uh, into you giving him a free kick it's wrong and I knew it was wrong You know what? Something in me demanded that that man be held to account. It demanded fairness. It demanded justice. Now what right does God have to expect me to be just and me to be fair if he isn't fair himself? You know God, as his character is revealed in his law is scrupulously fair. And just there is no injustice in him. He cannot be anything else and so you have an issue here don't you to to say that we as Christians believe that grace allows you and me to live in relationship with him that grace and mercy allows you and me to live freely with him to enjoy his benefits to enjoy all that there is That goes along with being a child of his That grace allows the guilty You and me to go free Now how can that ever be How can he be the two At the same time How can he be just As the law would reveal him to be How can he be gracious As Jesus declares him to be So to Moses God is a God Who is upright and faithful, without injustice, scrupulously fair, then you have Jesus, who prayed, Father, forgive them. Mm. Then you have Jesus, who says to a woman, who is as guilty as she can be, neither do I condemn you. No, the two, Moses on the one hand, Jesus on the other hand, they seem poles apart, in their understanding of God. But in Mark, here they are having a conversation what will these two people, fi- how will they find any common ground in their understanding of God, to one God is a God who is just and who is upright and who is fair to the other, God is a God who is merciful and gracious and forgiving Peter and James and John, you can imagine them with a little bit of fear and trembling looking and listening to the conversation that Jesus has with Moses. You know, we can listen in again this morning. As we look in, Matthew, the conversation that Jesus has with Moses is about his death on the cross of Calvary. They are talking about his decease. They are talking about Calvary. These two men, when mercy is crushing up against justice, and when grace is crashing up against fairness, they talk about his decease, which he is about to accomplish in Jerusalem. Now, it tells us the other side, perhaps, of Moses, that Moses isn't just the person that God uses to bring the law. But Moses is the person that God would remind you and me of how important sacrifice is to him. Now, God had been preparing his people, Israel, to recognize sacrifice for 2,000 years before these events happened in Mark chapter 9. I'm going to read a couple of verses from Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 comes after... Um, Moses being uh, placed in the, uh, the ark in the bulrushes it comes after him being taken into the house of Pharaoh it comes after the time when he realised that he was Hebrew and, and ran for his life from Egypt he is called by God to go back he gives that wonderful message let my people go Pharaoh has hardened his heart towards that message and plagues have come over Egypt each plague coming some softening the heart of Pharaoh on a temporary basis and then Pharaoh's heart hardening again and so when it comes up to the end of chapter 11 or chapter 10 even there is no this seems a a situation that is going to go on and on and on and the whole thing becomes impossible in chapter 11 God has a conversation with Moses. And he says in those early verses in chapter 11, I'm going to bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And this one is going to break this country. It's going to break this people. And it's going to break this man. It's going to break his heart. And after that, he's not just going to let you go. He's going to chase you out to get out for you to get out of there as quickly as possible. It's gonna be a plague, he says, like like no other plague I'm going to come against Egypt in judgment. I'm gonna come, I'm gonna smite the firstborn of all in the land of Egypt. It's gonna break Egypt in two and it's gonna release my people from their bondage. Now in that's chapter eleven. In chapter twelve God turns His attention away from Egypt and on Israel, and He speaks to Moses and Aaron, and He speaks to them about Israel and what His mission is in protecting and bringing out His people. Israel. I'm going to read those 13 verses to us, and again, I'm going to right read it. This verse one says of Exodus 12, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be you beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. If the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it, according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you shall make you account for the lamb. And you, a lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat. Then they shall eat the flesh of that night, roasted in the fire, With unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw or boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head, its legs, and its entrails. And you shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, and sandals on your feet, and a staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment, for I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. That Chapter written hundreds of years before Mark chapter nine, as you read the beginning of it, you know Exodus is an important book, and the plagues of Exodus are an important time in the the life of Israel and its relationship with jesus with uh, God, but exodus twelve this is God I think saying. This, this is different now this is something that's that has never been done before this is something I want you to remember and not take for granted or let sweep over you in the same way that so many things sweep over us this is the beginning of months he says the beginning of the year for you and I want you to remember this. You know what? And the Jews, in obedience to God, remember this. And remember it year after year after year, what God has said to his people. No one, you could know, imagine, hundreds of years have gone by, and so this has been remembered hundreds of times in Israel by hundreds of thousands of different people, including... Peter and James and John God preparing his people to recognise sacrifice when they see one and to recognise the benefit and the outcomes of sacrifice when they see it here in this chapter he tells them to take a lamb from the flocks on the night of the exodus a lamb that would be no ordinary lamb says God but that would be perfect that would be innocent, that would be free from blemish or spot, that the innocence of that lamb would suffer the punishment of the guilty. That those who were in that house, because of the sacrifice of that lamb, God would be scrupulously fair to them. And scrupulously just to them. Now was it the case that those people in that house didn't deserve the judgment of God? No, of course not you know they were sinners the same as the Egyptians but God in his justice and in his fairness looks at the blood of an innocent perfect free lamb and punishes the lamb in the spot (coughs) of the sinner an innocent no ordinary lamb says God to Moses you tell them it's not just any lamb but it's a, a perfect lamb and a lamb without blemish or spot you can imagine the people of Israel when uh, Moses had told them that look so they splitting themselves into households and saying look we've got to get a lamb and we've got to get one that's perfect and, and without spot or blemish and so they would perhaps call the, the shepherd in the family and say look you've got to choose us a lamb because this is important God has, has asked us that and it can't be any lamb you've got to take your time over this and you've got to look as hard as you can and you've got to find us a lamb that is perfect and pure and without spot or blemish you can imagine that shepherd looking at this flock and thinking oh, well, what about this one and then looking at it and thinking oh, it's walking with a bit of a limb no that's not perfect look at this one oh, but this one it's ear it's, looks a bit wonky and this one and going through lamb after lamb after lamb until if finally they find one where the, their legs are perfect and their fleece is perfect and their ears are perfect and it's healthy and bright and everything's... what This is the one, they think. Now, to their eyes, it was as perfect as it could be. No, but their eyes, their eyes was it, were as weak as everyone else is. No, they could have picked a lamb that had some horrendous disease within it but would only come to fruition when it became a sheep later on they had no x-ray machine they had no CT scanner or any of the technology that you and I have but they did their best they couldn't identify everything here we come back to Mark chapter 9 is he the one Are you the one, Lord? A question on the lips of John the Baptist and on my lips this morning. Jesus, are you the one who's going to do this for me? Are you the one who's greater than I am? Are you the one who can do for me what I can never do for myself? Are you the one who's going to bring together a just God and a loving God, a fair God and a gracious God and allow him to forgive and be merciful to me are you that one no I could look at him this one I could think oh well look at the word and think well this is what he did here in, in Nazareth and this is what he did here in Capernaum and this is what he did in, in Galilee and this is what he did in Jerusalem and with the limited information that I have I could think well he looks right and he looks without blemish and he looks good perhaps he is the one yet here is Jesus on this mountain it's not the eyes of, of me that's testing him not the eyes of Moses that is testing him it's the Lord of God that is testing him it's the character of God that is testing him it's not does Jesus come up to my expectations is his character enough for me is his person enough for me? Is his uprightness and purity enough for me? to pass that test with no problem. Now perhaps the greater question, is he enough for God? Does his character come up to the character of God? Is he perfect like he is? Or is he sinful like I am? With Jesus, the Lord of God, that perfect Lord of God, tested him in every way possible in every area of his life, at every moment of his life a law that tested his hands and his body and his mind and his heart and his thoughts, all of that tested by the law of God and the same law that tells me how far I am away from him that same law reveals him as righteous and holy and without spot or blemish is he the one? says John is he the one? or shall we look for another? God's response is this is my beloved son hear him why is Moses there? Moses is there to remind us of the Lord The law that shows the character of a (coughs) pure and a holy God Mm. and shows my character as different to him and the gap between us. But it shows Jesus to be perfect like him and pure like him and holy like him. Able to be different to me. Why is Moses there to remind us of great sacrifice? that the God who is fair, the God who is just, and the God who is upright and holy can forgive you and me and allow the guilty to go free because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the perfect. Perfect without spot or blemish through the law. Here is the one who will lay down his life for the sins of the whole world mm, and will allow God to be both fair mm. and gracious at the same time this is what Paul says i think end with this for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh God did yeah. through sending his own son mm. in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he has condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For his name's sake. Amen. 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 Praise his name.